KCSBFM Santa Barbara 91.9. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Ashley Rush, KCSB News Director. This is the show that shares what's happening in and around Isla Vista and the UC Santa Barbara community. There's a lot to share on tonight's show. Later on, you'll hear from a teenage resident who took top honors in this year's Martin Luther King Jr. Day Poetry Contest. And a representative from UCSB's student organization, Life of the Party, shares some life-saving advice. But first, we're continuing our look at housing and IV during the pandemic. A COVID-related rental assistance program has been in place since last year, aimed at assisting out-of-work tenants who can't pay the rent from being kicked out. It's set to expire at the end of the month, as state lawmakers scramble to extend the program, which they say is needed to prevent a major housing crisis. Under the pandemic rent relief program, a tenant who notifies their landlord in writing that their income has been impacted by COVID can pay as little as 25% of their rent. However, it's not a rent forgiveness program. This rent will eventually come due. Today, I'm speaking with a major property owner in Isla Vista about how it's been going for tenants and property owners. Michelle Robertson is the president of Sierra Property Management, which owns and operates several properties in Isla Vista, as well as other parts of Santa Barbara County. Thanks for joining me today, Michelle. Thank you. So I'd like to find out what these past several months have been like for you from a property management perspective and to find out if the rental situation with tenants unable to pay full rent in IV is different than renters in other parts of the county. So what's your experience? Are tenants in IV using these rental relief protections as much as say tenants at your properties in other parts of Santa Barbara? Um, As much, I guess it would be differently. Um, It would be similar as far as a percentage goes but for different reasons. And just to kind of rewind and give a little bit more context, can you um, explain the rent relief program where it stands today? I know people are, I know lawmakers are trying to extend um, the deadline for when rent would be due, but could you just explain that? Sure, Um, so the rent relief program, what a lot of cities did initially is they postponed um, when rents were supposed to be due and they just kind of kicked it down the can. And then in um, the courts initially said, we're not gonna evict anybody. So in September, the state came in because the courts really, they kind of found out they really didn't have authority to do that, that they needed law that they had to follow. So then the state came in and passed the law and they called that AB 3088, where they said that uh, in certain situations you could not evict a tenant for not paying rent but you could evict them for not following guidelines and you know, for violating public health and all these other reasons, which initially was not allowed under the court system. So that allowed people to be safe in their homes for not being able to pay rent if they were affected by the pandemic through January 31, 2020 with certain limitations. So if they paid 25% of their rent, um, starting in September, then they could stay if they filed, if they signed a declaration. Um, two days ago, the governor did postpone that until summer. And then federally, which is kind of working in tandem with state, um, the president um, or the CDC, they also extended the eviction moratorium where people cannot be evicted if they've been impacted by COVID. Um, in Conjunction with that, through the COVID relief packages, we have been receiving funding through the feds that go to the state that end up going through the counties and the cities. 
that go to the tenants to pay for their rent if they qualify. So the rents get paid to us if they qualify and if they request it. It's not going to cover 100% of the rent, but it does help certain individuals who are not able to pay rent to be able to have some relief if they can't pay their rent and they do qualify for it. Um, and then what's been your biggest challenge as a property owner and manager during the pandemic? Well, the biggest challenge for us initially during the pandemic is we were just not qualified mm-hmm. as professionals to, um, you know, I guess emotionally withstand what was happening because, you know, as a, a property provider, we, we represent owners. We don't own a lot of the property ourselves. Um, so we were on the phone with the people who had just lost their jobs, couldn't pay rent, didn't know what they were doing and listening to their side of the story and not knowing answers for them because they didn't know what to do. And they were like, how do I pay my rent? We're like, we, we just don't know, you know, just sit still and we will work it out and then have to turn around and talk to the owners at the same time. And they're wondering, oh my gosh, I have to pay property taxes because this happened in March and property taxes were due April 10th and they weren't postponing those. I have to pay insurance. I have to pay my gardeners. I have to pay you. And they're like, what do I do? <laughs> and we didn't have answers for them either. Um, and we, we really weren't prepared for the emotion, emotional toll that we were internalizing because it was just a lot of sadness um, where we didn't have answers for anybody. We were just kind of acting as counselors more than anything um, and just educating both sides. Like, okay, at the time it was trying to find out what the laws were what the cities were doing, what the counties were doing, as far as what the tenants protections were, and then trying to find out what kind of relief um, the owners had as far as were the mortgage companies gonna allow them to forbear their mortgages if they had them and um, what kind of relief and protections that they have and where could we point them to? So it was, that was the hardest part was acting as a therapist more than anything for all the people involved and having to internalize that um, on a personal level, my medically, my blood pressure went up. And, you know, so that was something I personally had to work on and I had no idea I was otherwise healthy. So it was, it was very challenging. Um, That was the biggest challenge I had to deal with. Um, And you mentioned the property owners having to deal with property taxes. Has there been any relief for them? No. <laughs> I mean, the relief that we have is if tenants aren't able to pay rent and they qualify and they request it, then they get their rent paid, which gets the owners paid. So that's really definitely a benefit to the owner. Mm-hmm. However, a lot of owners, they don't qualify for PPP money like a business owner would, for example, um, because their rental income is not considered a business for many property owners. Um a lot of them are retired and so they don't qualify for unemployment because this isn't an employment venture for them. So they don't qualify for that, qualify for unemployment like a tenant would if they lost their job. So they don't get that kind of relief. Um, some do get mortgage deferment if they have a specific mortgage, but a lot of owners that have invested in um, property don't have that kind of loan. So they don't have that benefit and it kind of kicks the can down the line to them for them too. Um, so, and then a lot of the owners that buy property in Isla Vista, which isn't, you know, and, and people that own property in Isla Vista, aside from like the big, big properties, you know, that 25, 30 unit properties, a lot of them are one unit, two unit, four unit properties. 
those owners bought them, you know, as a small investment, and then they bought a two unit property. They're elderly, and they bought them as little investments, and they can't work. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they, you know, say they relied on this income to pay for their retirement needs. And they're now also at the at risk group. So it's not like they can pick up a job at a supermarket and kind of make their ends meet. They actually rely on this revenue to pay for their retirement needs and they are kind of mm-hmm. stuck getting loans from other people. And that's kind of their situation. So may, while they may have been able to swing it for a few months because they have some savings, um, it, being able to swing it for more than a year is something that is really challenging for them. So I have some of them that were able to pay for some of their expenses like the insurance a year in advance and just plug it in there. They're not, they're not paying a month at a time and paying interest on those expenses. Um, so it's it's been challenging and they don't have a lot of options as far as government relief or any other kind of relief for themselves. And the rent relief program is not a rent forgiveness program. So eventually the rent will come due. Um, are your tenants who haven't been paying full rent fully aware of this? Correct. So our tenants that haven't been paying rent um, there, the student housing is a little bit different than our tenants in traditional housing because student housing tenants qualify a little bit different. Um, they qualify with a guarantor most of the time um, because they're students and they don't qualify with a full-time job or traditional income, so to speak. They qualify with student loans, with grants, which typically they still have. Um, and then they, on top of it, they have a, a guarantor and a lot of times it's, it's a tricky situation because they say, hey, my parents lost their job and now I can't pay for it. But then you look at their application and they have funding that were not from their parents. So um, where, where do you, you know, where do they qualify as far as the um, funding that comes from the state? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, do they still have to pay for it? Yes, they do. Um, so they are aware and we try to kind of educate them on that part. Um, what we hear a lot of from the students is, hey, we're now remote, so you shouldn't hold us to the terms of the lease because we don't even have to be here anymore. And it's kind of like, well, you know, you signed this lease before and um, the owner didn't know this pandemic was happening and it's a contract and it's, you know, just because it, we're not affiliated with the university, it's private housing. Mm. So that's where it comes, becomes even more tricky. And so, and, and we come in a little bit of a contentious situation because they feel like, hey, I don't even have to be here. And they're telling us to leave Isla Vista and you're kind of forcing me to pay rent here and why should I have to pay it? Um, but yes, the rent forgiveness, um, it's not rent forgiveness, it's just rent deferment and it is still due. And IV and student housing is a unique living situation as there's often several people living under one roof to cover rent. How are you working with housemates? If a few roommates can't pay rent, are their housemates responsible for covering that share? They are joint and several. We only have, we don't have any leases that we rent by the bed. Um, I know that some housing providers do rent by the bed, we do not. Hmm. So it does mean that the other housemates are technically responsible. If they do have a roommate that has declared, we're not charging late fees. We're honoring, you know, whatever one roommate has. We're not saying, well, you don't have a declaration, so you're still responsible for their late fee. We're not doing that at all. So we're honoring it as a whole unit also, if that's Mm -hmm. a situation. And you mentioned a little bit of contention. Um, Would you say there's been an uptick in housing and rent disputes, at least between roommates since the pandemic began? 
Yes, um, between housing and roommates, we do have a lot of contention. We're having a lot of people calling us. You know, they, they feel like one roommate's not as responsible as the other as far as safety and, um, you know, doing what the responsible thing should be as far as socializing and, um, you know, going out and partying and coming back home and bringing that. And it, that's where we're like, you know, we don't know what to tell you. Um, we can't also be the roommate police, but we try the best we can and trying to mitigate whatever we can and help wherever we can. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to ask in general, how do you feel about the state's response to rent forgiveness during the pandemic? Is there more that should be done to help renters or property owners during the time? It's a challenging question. Um, you know, uh, I wish that we can just start printing money and give it to everybody. I, it, that'd be a lovely thing so that we, we could all stay home and stay safe and nobody would have to feel obligated to go out and expose ourselves. I mean, that would be a perfect world. Um, and if that's what the state could do, then, you know, let's all have a good time and just do that. But unfortunately, even in, in my business, we couldn't do that even if it were a possibility because toilets break and somebody's got to go fix that. So it's an impossible solution. Um, so as far as the state's response, you know, rent forgiveness, I can't support that either because I could see the owner side, like they are, they're the ones holding the bag. Mm -hmm. If they're going to forgive rents, then somebody's have has to make that owner, you know, complete in some way. Um, and then that would mean having to pay the owner somehow too. So as far as the state's response, um, I think that there's a little bit of inequity in having the owners wait for rents um, for an indefinite amount of time. And I also think there's a little bit of inequity of, having the tenants not know what their position is as far as, you know, not feeling secure in their housing situation. Mm -hmm. um, so there has to be a little bit more clarity as to, um, you know, making the owners secure that they're gonna have their expenses covered at least and making the tenants secure that they're not gonna be homeless. Mm -hmm. um, I think they could, have been, they could have done a better job in all of that. Michelle Robertson with Sierra Property Management, thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. This is Inside Isla Vista. I'm Ashley Rush with KCSB News. Still ahead, you'll hear this year's winning poem in the MLK Junior Day Poetry Contest. But first, a UCSB organization has launched a messaging campaign in an effort to help save lives. KCSB's Miley Samogi speaks with a rep from the group Life of the Party. My name is Natalie Harriet, and I am one of the Life of the Party peer educators from the UCSB Alcohol and Drug Program. I want to ask you, what exactly is Life of the Party? So Life of the Party is a student-run group, and basically our goal is to encourage uh, party safety in Isla Vista. So we are not an abstinence-based group. Um, we allow students to, you know, make their own decisions and we accept whatever decisions they make. We just try to provide the resources so people can have a safe night, a fun night, but also a, a regret-free night. And I've heard recently that you just launched a new campaign called, correct me if I'm wrong, Just Call 911. Yeah, so we've actually had this campaign going on for a little while, but we're really trying to emphasize it this quarter because especially with 
um, the coronavirus going on and hospital beds being limited in number, it could make some people a little bit hesitant to call 911, but we wanna ensure that everybody stays safe. Basically the premise of the campaign is if you think somebody is at risk of alcohol poisoning or drug overdose, to just call 911 and get them the help that they need because it could potentially save a life. One thing about the Life of the Party Just Call 911 campaign that I really want to emphasize is the campus has a code. It's called the um, Responsible Action Protocol. So it's similar to a Good Samaritan law. And essentially what this means is that if you call 911 because you're concerned about somebody who's having alcohol poisoning, drug overdose, or really anything, you will not get in trouble when first responders arrive, whether that be police, paramedics, uh, firefighters, anything like that. The purpose of it is to help get the affected individuals the help that they need. So if you yourself are under the influence of like recreational drugs, or if you happen to have alcohol in your system, they're not going to prosecute you or get you in trouble for that. They just want to make sure that everybody stays safe. So there may be a possible educational referral that, that follows, but you're not going to get in trouble. So we really want to encourage you to be safe and um, call 911. It also comes with naloxone distribution. What is naloxone? Yeah, so naloxone is a it's a medication that temporarily reverses the effects of an opioid overdose. So it's really cool because it doesn't have any side effects and it's administered through a nasal spray. So if you accidentally give it to someone who you think had a drug overdose, but it wasn't actually a drug overdose, nothing's going to happen to them. They're going to be perfectly okay. So it's legal to carry. And we offer it at the alcohol and drug program to students for free. They just have to go to um, our GFR website, Gauchos for Recovery, and there'll be instructions on how to get those even during the pandemic while the school is technically closed. Um, and so the important thing to know about naloxone, though, is after you administer it because you suspect a drug overdose, you still need to call 911 because it is only temporary. So after about 20 to 60 minutes, somewhere in that range, the person will go back and re-experience some symptoms of overdose. So it's really important to call the paramedics and get them the help they need. How has the pandemic and COVID uh, impacted uh, life of the party. Yeah, so life of the party, we are operating virtually. So we're still doing everything that we used to do. Um, we aren't able to have any of our in-person events or alternative events, but we're still trying to put out all our party safety messages because even though larger gatherings are discouraged, some of them are still happening. And even smaller gatherings among friends, there's still the risk for alcohol poisoning or drug overdose or something else to happen. So we wanna encourage students to still stay safe. Can you tell if there's any more partying going on, like more or less? Is it more safe? Uh, it's hard to tell how much is going on, but I would not say that it is more safe. I think that it's risky if people are not wearing masks and social distancing. Everybody has their own little circles of people. So when you start expanding outside of those circles, there's more people you come in contact with, which could increase your risk of possibly getting COVID. And in addition, sharing drinks and all of that is especially risky now. Right, right. If anyone wanted to get involved with Life of the Party in any way, how can they do so? Yeah, I would encourage them to reach out to us through Shoreline and join our organization on there. So we will probably be having volunteers again next year so you could help out at any of our events. 
Um, if you're interested in getting more involved, we do have an internship program, which is what I'm a part of as a Life of the Party peer educator. So keep an eye out for applications to be a peer educator next year at the end of spring quarter. Natalie, thank you so much for joining me. I'm Miley Simogi, and this is Inside Isla Vista. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. Artists and other creative types have gravitated to Isla Vista over the years. And you're about to meet an award-winning poet who grew up in IV. She's currently a senior at Dos Pueblos High School. KCSB's Kalia Kwa will tell you more. Every year, the Martin Luther King Committee of Santa Barbara hosts an essay and poetry contest for youth ages 6 to 18 years of age. Every year, a different theme proposed, this year deriving from King's quote stating, the ultimate measure of a person is not where they stand in moments of discomfort and convenience, but where they stand at times of challenge and controversy. Today we welcome Martin Luther King, six-year entry winner since the seventh grade, and now a 17-year-old senior, Kundai Chikawero, reading her 2021 winning poem titled, Betrayal Silence. Hi, my name is Kundai Chikawero. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I am 17 years old and I'm a senior at Dos Pueblos High School. My poem is called Betrayal Silence. Mm. Darkness linger, dark clouds transfuse. Thunderstorm raging seas. Burning fires, tremors and twisters. Lightning zapping, whirlwind overwhelms. Panic, death, brutality murder, poverty, hopelessness, injustice everywhere, they cry out for justice. Out in the streets, mothers, fathers, brothers and sisters, children and adults, traumatized, grieving, sadness, no justice, no peace. Black lives matter, this skin, it matters. Where is empathy? Where is sympathy? Where is equality? Where is justice and leadership? Where is the voice of reason? I hear his voice in my brain, it reverberates. That strong voice yearning for equality. There comes a time when silence itself is betrayal. That voice, Martin Luther King's reassuring voice. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about the things that matter. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. When injustice is everywhere, how can one stay silent and give up? When democracy is on the line, how can one stay calm? How, oh how, when a pandemic ravages your loved ones, how can one stay still when brothers and sisters are hashtags murdered like it's 1865? Black codes, the Civil War, Jim Crow, redemption, redlining and gentrification. In this raging storm, silence is betrayal. Speak up, fight with love and fight for equality. Thank you. <laughs> Yay! Wow. <laughs> Powerful. Thank you. Followed by the wonderful delivery of Kundai's poem, I was fortunate enough to ask the young poet a few questions. So Kundai, could you talk to me about how you got interested in poetry? Um, well, I really got interested. I first started writing poetry at a young age. Um, I remember specifically, it was like for Mother's Day, I just wrote my mom kind of like a poem because I remember like um, someone, my teacher would tell us like, oh yeah, like handmade stuff like are the best. 
so she'd have us write like poems in class and stuff and since then I've just kind of been writing on my own time. In light of the recent Martin Luther King Jr. Day that was recently commemorated, could you tell me about this poem that you wrote in 2018 titled Follow the Legacy? I don't know, I'm trying to remember. I just, every time I write a poem, I kind of like leave it there and don't think about it again for a while. That year's topic was kind of like legacy. And I think I really liked that topic just because you can kind of see Dr. King's legacy. I think like nowadays, um, his legacy isn't, I wouldn't say as strong, but you can kind of see like the work that he's done versus where we are. Um, and I thought that just was kind of something important to write about, whereas we started off strong and we should kind of just follow his legacy, even in times where, um, you know, we see, we, we feel kind of hopeless. We should just continue um, with the same strength that he had and not kind of let hatred kind of win over. Mm. I'm wondering, how did you come up with that title? It's, it's powerful. <laughs> um, honestly, my titles kind of just come to me in my head. Like, I know that like really doesn't really make much sense, but yeah, I kind of like choose keywords and then kind of just frame them together in ways that I think sounds kind of powerful in my head. So that's kind of how that one came about. I'm wondering, were you able to catch 22-year-old Amanda Gorman speak at the recent inauguration? Yeah, I was able to see like a, like a brief section of it. <laughs> okay. Yeah, but I plan on watching it later. I've heard a lot about her speaking and heard that it was really powerful. I was actually out walking my dog and someone came up to me and asked me about her. So, <laughs> Well, I, I just feel like you're also someone who's very young, using their voice and putting language towards justice in, in such a profound way. So how does that how does that make you feel to see someone at the U.S. inauguration making a positive impact through poetry? I think it's really inspirational um, because I feel like poetry itself or even just like um, words as an art are often really overlooked. I mean, I actually want to go into like political science and everything. And so like I've always kind of thought that poetry is just like this hobby that I had off to the side. But it's really cool to see that I, like the two can actually intertwine and be useful you know and help each other out like that. Now I'm curious with both of your parents being such distinguished academics in the field has this played a significant influence uh, within your purposeful fire towards justice? I would say definitely yeah um, my parents definitely have pushed me um, to kind of continue up and keep up with this challenge so that definitely helped a lot and I mean, it really helped me see the difference between just like writing for fun and seeing that you can actually like do something with your words, you know, like it doesn't have to be, you know, it's kind of just like almost like protesting, but as an art. And I really like that. Right. Absolutely. In, in such a, a peacefully remarkable way too. Kundai, if you could paint a picture of what justice looks like for you, what would it look like? I think just everyone being equal and everyone being happy, you know, um, I think nowadays, you know, like with the Black Lives Matter movement and all that, a lot of people misinterpret it as Black lives mean more or this ethnic group matters more than the other. But I think really we're just wanting to be equal, you know, not above, but, you know, equity, basically we want to be seen as the same as, you know, um, I feel like just like a world where, you know, gender and race and those social constructs are kind of just broken and people are free to just live how they live. Could you leave us with a wish and a greatest hope 
that you hope to see in the upcoming four years for your generation? Um, I feel like this is kind of like a really specific wish, but um, um, as I mentioned, I really want to go into like law and politics and seeing as things are now, I've noticed that human rights and stuff have become an issue of like politics and like what party you're on. And I feel like I just want to like separate the two, you know, like um, we should be able to agree on human rights despite whatever political party you identify with. Beautiful. Well, Kundai, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on air today. I want to thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything else that you'd like to add today? Um, not that I can think of. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> We're so happy to have you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you so much. Of Your course. future's so bright too. I can't. I'm. I'm so excited that we get to have you now. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me again. I really appreciate the opportunity. That's KCSB's Kali Aqua speaking with teenage poet Kundai Chikawera, who is the winner of this year's MLK Junior Day Poetry Contest. You've been listening to Inside Isla Vista. Thanks for tuning in Wednesdays at 5 p.m. to find out what's happening in and around Isla Vista. I'm Ashley Rush. Our theme music is Siesta by Jawser. This is 91.9 FM, KCSB.